Barbara Hendricks is an artist who has made a difference her whole life. She not only has a beautiful voice, but she's got a beautiful heart. Her devotion and contribution to humanitarian cause is without parallel. Good morning. This is Chapter 1 with Greg Grasso. Good morning. We're talking with Barbara Hendricks. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. And you? I'm doing very well. I'm uh, taking me a couple minutes to get started here, but I'm doing very well. Barbara, I'd like, to, I'd like to introduce uh, Trent Clegg. He and I will be talking to you this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Trent. <laughs> well, uh, Barbara, you have a new vo- uh, book out, Lifting My Voice. It's, it's your memoirs, your life, your career. And um, I, was, I was deeply moved uh, when I was asked to uh, give you a call by Trent um, I uh, honestly didn't know a whole lot about you, but after reading your book and doing a little research, um, absolutely attracted to you. You're an absolutely beautiful person. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Trent, I'm going to turn the mic over to you, <laughs> and you're going to talk about uh, her wonderful voice and uh, her career. I'm going to let you talk for a little bit, and then uh, we're going to talk about your other work, Barbara, okay? Sounds good. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, Barbara, I I uh, have been going through your book this last week, and the first question I'd like to ask you, you mentioned you were talking about your children and not wanting to expose them to the spotlight, and then you said that you're a very private person. What inspired you to tell your story? Well, it, well first of all, I was, uh, the, this, this uh, lifting my voice is sort of the fourth uh, edition of the book in the sense that uh, it started uh, out writing, I started out writing it in French uh, because a friend of mine in, in Paris who's an editor asked me, you know, he said, oh, why don't you, you know, write your story? And it took several years to get around to to, to getting to the, the finished product in 2010 when it came out in France. Uh, and then later in uh, 2012 in Sweden and last just last summer in Spain, but uh, that it just started really from that question, and then as I started to to really write on it in the last years before the first before the the first the French edition came out, I sort of realized that I was putting in the book a, quite a lot of things that I'd never really discussed in depth with my children. I mean, and our our dinner table was really the the place where where all the interaction in the family happened. And it was, it was always, uh, dinner time was, was sacred, and uh, everyone had to be there. And if I was in town, every, and not doing other things or watching TV, or they didn't get to watch TV on the week, uh, during the week anyway. But uh, the, dinner, the dinner time was when we talked to one another. And even though we talked a lot, we talked quite a lot about them, about what was going on in their day, and, uh, you know, when dealing with, with those things. And I just realized that I only touched very briefly on my, on my, own, uh, on my own life, the details of my own childhood. And as I was writing that, I realized that, oh, I don't think I would discuss this with my, with my children. So it ended up that I was really writing it for them. And then the other thing is that I, I've been blessed with working with some of the greatest musicians of my time and uh, and working also with my, my voice teacher at Juilliard School, uh, Jenny Turrell. And I just thought that I've been given so much and that um, 
and, and I'm not a teacher. I'm not teaching. And I thought, but I must pass some of that on to, to my younger colleagues that because I got passed on a sort of a tradition that doesn't no longer exist. I mean, you know, when people travel from Europe to America in, on a boat, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, the Concorde when it was running or, or on a fast plane, and, and life was different and artists developed differently than uh, than we than they do today. And I just I felt that that was important to to find a way to pass it on, even though I'm not I'm not uh, teaching singing. Uh, so in a way, you're kind of correcting the um, obliteration of family history by making sure that you were able to tell your story. Yes, and to and to also for my for my children who. Uh, who didn't grow up in America to to understand uh, to understand that uh, put a face on something that they have touched on in their in their history lessons, but not in depth, right. and put my put my face into that story. And uh, uh, but that was I mean I didn't start that was not my intention when I started. My intention really was to see if I could write because I said to to my friend the editor and I said you know I can hardly remember. Where what happened two months ago? I don't know if I can remember what happened fifty years ago because at the time I was around fifty, and I and I said, but I'll try. I'll give it a try, and, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed having the memories come back in a way that I in a, with details that I just didn't expect when when I agreed to try this experiment. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was pretty sure that I was not just going to remember anything. And I think that has to do with the fact that I had a life that was very sort of moving forward. My schedule: what's the next, what's the next concert, what's the next music I have to learn, uh, and and sort of sort of letting go of where I had been two weeks before. So I was a little bit afraid that I wouldn't remember it uh, in, in enough details to make it interesting for anybody to read. But it was a fantastic experience when. Sometimes the memories would just sort of flood quicker than I could even write them. And, and I, I really started to enjoy uh, working on the book for, for that reason. Well, and it's an important story to be told. You, you kind of were the, the second or, or third um, baton carrier, I guess, in this wave of African-American singers that came to prominence after, you know, Leontine Price. Um, yes. And you were contemporaries, you are contemporaries with Jesse Norman and, and, and Kathleen Battle. Um, and yeah, if, absolutely. And, and, and so that, I don't know, I, I see Leontine Price kind of as, as the one who, who held the door open after Marian Anderson opened it. And then, you know, along absolutely. comes... Absolutely. Uh, although they were, there were other people around, they were Shirley Verrett, uh, there were there was a whole generation of of singers who were in the the generation before us. I right. mean, that were in in Lanting Price generation who were singing all over Europe and having uh, Grace Barnbury, Shirley Verrett, the two of the two of the biggest ones, uh, who were having careers. And so, uh, I don't think the door could have been held open by just one person. So she she was the sort of the the star and the one who was shining and leading the way. But there were a lot of people in her generation who had started careers in Europe and, and who were having a, uh, who were doing wonderful, wonderful careers, never, of course, reaching that, uh, you know, the, uh, I think the place of, of Lanting Price because she really did, she really did push open that door that 
Marian Anderson had cracked. Right. And, um, but I, all of those people, uh, George Shirley was someone who I, uh, an artist who would, uh, tenor, who uh, was a very uh, big influence on me too. Uh, all of those people, they were pushing also all the doors. Right. And so my generation got to walk through without having, uh, without having to think about that so much. We were, we were welcomed on the international stages. And, uh, and so, I, uh, I, as I said in the book, I'm eternally grateful to have just had to concentrate on being the best I could be uh, and not having to hold up uh, hold up a, a, a race or, 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 or even a, a nationality, just work for my, to, to do my best. And, and so that, uh, uh, I was, I'm, actually, I'm always extremely uh, grateful for. Well, it, in the book, it impressed me that, that you kind of traced that progression. And because of of those who went before you, it seems like it, it allowed you to move beyond trying to establish African-American singers in the United States. And you were able to go out onto the world stage in a way that that allowed you to, to segue into your humanitarian work as well. Yes, it allowed me. It, it was something I didn't have to think about. I mean, you know, uh, it was not the first thought I, I, that came to my mind if I didn't uh, get something I auditioned for. I mean, I I was able to, I had the, the luxury, I can say, of assuming that I wasn't chosen because they just didn't like me, right. but not because of the color of my skin. I mean, he doesn't like my voice, he doesn't like the way I look, I'm too short, I'm too tall or whatever, but that it wasn't, it, it had, it wasn't, it, uh, didn't have to do with my race, but their but their own personal taste. They didn't just didn't want me for that 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 uh, production. As a matter of fact, my my first husband was an agent, and sometimes I I, I inherited his friends, but I also inherited some of his enemies. Right. So which had nothing to do with race. I mean, you know, if somebody was mad at him because of another artist, I mean, they usually you know were mad at me too. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So they were able so, to look but, at you as no, a human being. To, exactly. I didn't have to think about that. I was, I, I, uh, I had to deal with those uh, things like that, just like anybody else, without, but without it being about race. Right. Um, I, quick question for you. you. You bring up George Shirley. I've heard his name before, and I think I've even heard uh, some, of his, some, some of his few recordings. But do, do you have an opinion on, on why it seems to be mainly female African American artists that that are that are, you know, having a prominent place in the musical scene and, and not so many African American tenors. Is there is there anything about that at all? Well first of all I think that probably a little bit fewer tenors. I mean tenor it is a is a is not the most common voice. There certainly were more uh black, um uh, black American uh, baritones. Right, like Simon uh, Estes. Yeah, around and 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 there are fewer tenors, uh, but I think it was also uh, having to do with the fact that the tenors are usually the ones who have the romantic role right. uh, and don't play the villain. And and, of, and I, you know, mo- many of my uh, my male colleagues were felt that it was that it was unfair that the women that women were able to move 
forward in 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 in, uh, in opera particularly uh in a way that 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 men were not mm-hmm. i mean there were there always were some tenors but but really very very few that uh uh that managed to have the a career like like we did. I mean, my generation of 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 of, uh, of women singers. Right. I remember uh, seeing you in a television special as a teenager. That was the first time that I'd ever seen you or, or heard your voice. You were singing Christmas music, I think, with uh, the Boston Pops and John Williams in the late. Oh 80s. yes, with the children's choir. Yes, I remember. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. And. Um, by the way, you have a, a beautiful instrument. I'm sure you've you've been told that throughout your life. It's it's a pleasure to hear you sing. Um, I'm not as familiar with a lot of the repertoire that you do, though. Um, like um, Melisande in Pelias and Melisande, I'm not very familiar with that because that opera doesn't seem to be very exertable. You know, you can't just pull an aria out of it and put it on a on a disc. No, no, you can't at all. No, it's it's sort of like it goes from beginning to end. As I say, there is the, I, there is no real aria in it for 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 Melisande, so uh, it's it's not an opera like that. Right, and then you also do a lot of song literature. Um, you know, the yes. German lead, the French melody. Um, yeah. It was a great passion of mine because um, because I love poetry, too. Right. And I think it's not, well, the songs are, the, the melodies are beautiful. I mean, the Schubert and, uh, but the, but also the poetry is something that attracts me, that has always attracted me to song, to song uh, uh, repertoire. So that has been something added, not just, that the songs are are beautiful or nice, but be, because there's something more in it, and and also the intimate setting of recital, uh, it's uh, you know no costume, no no orchestra, no conductor, but me, the piano, the pianist, and the audience, and uh, and and the songs, and I I enjoy very much having that kind of. Uh, intimate contact with the public. Well, you seem to be one of the few standard bearers for the song recital these days. You mentioned, you, you, you lament almost in your book about the dearth of, of singers who are taking up that art form and, and moving with it. Well, particularly, I think, women. I find that, and I've been on the jury for a couple of competitions and, and things like that, and I find, and I've done some master classes, and I really have to insist that singers sing have some song repertoire, uh, and uh, I just don't feel that the passion for it is being is being translated to them in in their studies because I find so few who are really interested in it. And that makes me sad. But on one hand, you have to, I think well maybe it's going to be a little bit like Baroque music. It's going to sort of disappear for a while, and then it'll come back, and everybody will think, well, isn't that great? <laughs> so I'm hoping that. The, you know, the fact that, that it, it's recorded and there have been so many really great artists who have recorded this repertoire, that there will be a generation who will, who will want to go toward a more poetic uh, uh, expression right. and will want to, to share that with, 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 the, with the audience. You, you, just, you just mentioned generation. Um, I, uh, I, I grew up in the 50s... Um, like you, Barbara, in, in an integrated society. You were you were raised in Arkansas during the fifties, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, um, completely segregated. Uh, I grew up on the East Coast during the race riots during the sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an Italian Amer Italian Polish American uh, immigrant yep. family. Uh, my father was an architect. Blah blah blah. Um, 
And what I'm getting to about this generational loss, we've got a we've got a generation of of uh, kids coming into this world and growing up, and uh, um, we're losing people like you, Barbara. Um, you, you uh, every, I'm listening to you talk uh, with Trent, and everything that comes out of your mouth is is absolutely beautiful and spiritual to me. I, I, I just I just feel a, a spiritual connection. So, do do you think growing up in the South during the time uh, of uh, of this uh, turmoil, um, uh, what 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 do you think drove you as you got more mature and as you understood and it, and as you said before, it was your time to give back. What inspired you to work with humanity? Well, I, honestly, just I think I was as a child I was quite conscious of injustice within my own family. You know, I, if my if my parents treated one of us unjustly, I mean, I it upset me so much more than being uh, than being punished for something I did. You know, <laughs> I sort of saw I saw sort of saw the reason in that, but the injustice was so, it just really upset me, and I wanted to rebel against that. Uh, and so, witnessing the, the 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 civil rights movement, because I was too young to uh, to participate, right. and and witnessing it from from up close, uh, I it, it it really gave me uh, the idea that you you must you must be active and participate. And I can say that it was when the Civil Rights Voting Act passed. I was just a teenager and not not yet old enough to vote, but the just the idea that. As an adult, I can only not only have my rights, but have my responsibilities as a citizen. And those responsibilities would would protect me and protect other generations from ever having the same problems of uh, of being um, accorded their rights as a citizen. And now, of course, uh, the voting rights are being attacked again, mm-hmm. which I, I thought I'd never ever live to see. Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that means that maybe we need maybe this younger generation are going to have to decide what kind of society do we want to live in, and when they make the decision that we want to live in a just society, then we must be active in order for that to happen. We just can't assume that we're going to inherit it. I think that that freedom and democracy is something that has to be earned with almost every generation. Mm-hmm. And, or else, you know, that, that is why when you sit back and, and, uh, and, you, and you gain something, and you, you sit back and relax and you want to party. So, okay, let's go party. But it seems like the forces that are against freedom uh, and, and justice for all, they never stop and party. So, uh, you know, yeah, let's celebrate and, and have the party, but then let's keep the fight. And that is very important. And I, I have great faith that the generation coming up are starting to question uh, uh, particularly our, our, ov- our overtly commercial, empty lives that, that, we're, that we're pushing on to them, that they should be, that what should make them happy is something that they can buy instead of some feeling in, in their heart that they have, they're participating in a society and they belong to something that's worthwhile. And I have great faith, and I guess it's because I'm a grandmother, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I have the cutest grandson, and I have to believe that he and his generation and, and my 
children's generation are going to fight the right fight. Well, you uh, you speak about a light motif from Russian bass Fedor Shalyapin. You know, light versus glitter, mm. simplicity versus complexity, true grandeur versus vulgar externals. Do externals, you, exactly. Do you think that this upcoming generation is going to be able to look past all of that artificial stuff? I mean, it's it's in the well, media. Well, I think they're everywhere. starting to. I think they're starting to, and also they don't. Things are very different. They don't seem to have much of a choice. The way things are going down, I mean, the quality of their lives are not at all going to be what the quality of what I called myself the, the, the blessed generation. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, first of all, I was 20 in 1968. I mean, how great was that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> at least we happen to think it was so great anyway. Let but, your hair but, down, but, baby. <laughs> but, but, it, but it was it was a time where we thought we were going to make the world, and it was going to be different. Things have changed, and a lot of things have changed for the better. But, as, but then you, when I wonder, when I sit back and I thought, you know, 60 years ago where we were, and now we're undoing the, the voting rights bill. And that, and that is because we cannot sit back on our laurels. The fight continues. It continues all the time. And so that, because if not, then you, you give up hope. You think, okay, we, we, you, we've lost. But I, I think with every generation, there will come, come, and now it's necessary. I think maybe the generation who are in their 40s didn't feel the necessity, but I think the 20-year-olds today, they feel they have to do it. They don't have a choice. They won't have a planet. They won't have air to breathe. They won't have water to drink. They've got to fight for it. Yeah, the focus is, is shifted. Um, when we were growing up, the, uh, the focus was humanity. Um, you know, look what we had. The, we had the Vietnam era. Um, mm. We had... Uh, Women's rights and all sorts of things like that. And, yeah. Uh, it, and, but now, but now, you, it, it's about you know not sitting in your corner fighting for your rights. It's like there is no corner. Right, right. There is <laughs> no know? corner. And, and there we, is no corner. And, every every in every corner, the air is going to be polluted. The water is going to be undrinkable. And what scares me, um, when, when I grew up, uh, I, I had a very good faith base. Um, my Parents taught me right and wrong. I still say yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am. Still open doors, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was, well, it was also beat into me, but, <laughs> but, but. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes was not an answer. No, yes, no. it would be yes, what? <laughs> yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, yes, sir. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and we learned to take our punishment. <laughs> and, yes, we, we and we learned to suppress it. And, and we learned to use that suppression uh, when we got older to to turn around i'm getting back to we can't forget um i i i i'm 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 I've been troubled. I've been tormented my whole life. I don't understand it. Well, I do understand it, but I don't understand it. What man has done to each other. Um, I study uh, the camps in World War II. Uh, horrible, horrible, horrible time. Um, we can't forget things like this. We cannot forget genocide. We cannot forget um, uh, uh, scrapping, scrapping, uh, you know, entire races of people. Um, mm. because they're different, because we can't feed them, because we don't understand them. We, we, we can't 
we can't continue down this path. And it's well, almost it's almost like you know the, the it's almost like a uh, a learning experience. You know uh, when when f- you know France has been around uh, with their. Uh, uh, France has been around. England has been around many, many, many centuries. Uh, they've gone through uh, these times throughout their history: uh, uh, war, injustice, uh, uh, upheaval. Um, it, it's almost like the United States. It's almost like growing pains. We're, we're going. We, we've seen ourselves go down this this road and into this cycle. But it. But what scares me is that I, I, I really hope that we're learning from this because um, these young kids have not been through what we've been through. They have not seen what we have yeah. seen. They have not felt the and pain. Some, and I, but I think they, they, they see the challenge. The, the, the challenge was different. I mean, we, we, we were, I mean, there was a, sort of this off, off in the distance threat of some kind of uh, nuclear war, but it was quite, quite much in the distance. And we felt that, you know, I, even growing up in a segregated society, I still grew up with an enormous amount of hope for my future. Yeah. So, uh, and I, and I, but I think that the young people, they're, they're seeing, I, 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 that they're seeing things, and they have a tool, they have this social media. The only thing is they, 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 they don't know patience, because without patience you give up, you give up the battle. Uh, you give up the war in the first battle, and and that you can't do. You've got to keep your keep your eye on the goal. I mean, and it was something I would uh, say that uh, I was very much touched by the the passing of uh, Maya Angelou, and I and I I you know was listening to an interview that she did about you know how great America is in in, in what it has to offer in its people, mm-hmm. and if 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 we work together for the common good, for just you know one hundredth of the, the 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 effort that we need, I mean, it would just you know it just you can't even imagine what could happen uh, in in the world. So um, uh, I think that potential is there. I think the I think the that the and it, and I think it has to come from the younger generation. But uh, they, they, there is also something that has a hold on them, which is the media, which has a hold on them, which tries to tell them what they should think. And, you know, you, you were talking about being spiritual. Get out there in that nature and listen to your own voice. Listen to your own voice who will, will tell you the truth about what you should do. Uh, get away from the noise. And so they, they, have, uh, they, they have other challenges that we had. Uh, but I think they also they have the tools that we didn't have. And uh, like I say, as a as a as a new grandmother, I have no choice but to be hopeful. Yeah, that's that's actually something that impressed me as I was as I was reading that you consistently choose hope and faith over over despair. Um, do you do much work with younger people to to teach them, you know, patience and and choosing hope even when things are difficult? It, reading reading through your book. You, you faced a lot of very difficult situations um, growing up, mm. and and I th- I think that you know my generation, for instance, I, I'm 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 40, and then the generation under under beneath me, I th- I think we really need these examples of 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 patience, and you know it's okay to slow down, it's okay to listen to your inner voice. This is how to slow down and listen to your inner voice. Uh. 
you know. I, but, al- but also because everything, well, we, we live in this sort of what I call the microwave society where everything has to be done instantly. So you take that dish out of the micro, microwave, but it has no taste. Right. I mean, so, so I mean, it's just, I mean, I, 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 I like cooking. So, yeah, I mean, I try to use cooking analogies all the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you put that into a slow oven and have it cook, it melts in your mouth and it has a taste. And, and it's, you know, you get something that's locally grown, that's in season. Uh, we have to go back to what's real, real food, real culture, real relationships, you know, real contact with, with, this, with this earth that has been given to us. So, uh, no, I don't teach, and that's one of the reasons, you know, when I... When the book came out, I was a bit frustrated to to be promoting it from afar and not, you know, be running around and, and doing the things you think you're supposed to do. Uh, and But then I thought, you know, I put my book out to the universe, and I want the universe to put it into the hands of the people that, you know, that will that will get something from it. And that is, um, you know, the fact that you've read it and you wanted to talk about it means that maybe that's happening. <laughs> so... Well, it's also because um, we we get it and we care. I mean, um, even living in a little town like Pocatello, Idaho, you know, there are a lot of decent, loving people around, and and I, you know, I I, I embrace that. I I I I was taught to give everything off my back if if someone needs mm. it, you know. And uh, yeah, well, I'm not, but I think that you—that's what you have there. Yeah, you have those good. People, you know, I when I was, when I did my studies, when uh, the I went to Nebraska, the University of Nebraska. I mean, there can be no that's Middle America, yeah. and the people who helped me were certainly we were not politically of the same of uh, on the same side, right. uh, but these people they were just good people, yeah. good people who wanted to help me because I had talent, yeah. and for no other reason. Yeah. And uh, and I am so grateful for those good people, uh, and uh, and so I think the country, I think the world is full of good people. Uh, a lot of them are just filled with fear. They've been, in, and, and I must say, and the media and politicians use fear. I mean, everywhere. I mean, I mean, you saw. Uh, I I don't know if you're aware here in Europe, they had the European Parliament the elections, and the the far right. Uh, has has risen up all over Europe, which yes. is, I mean, given the fact that the European Union was formed on the fact of not wanting to go to war again on the continent, uh, it's it's sort of shocking people. But you know, they use the fear, fear of the other. I mean, so as I said, like you think we said never again after the Second World War, but every generation must refight the fight, and um, so that is. Uh, uh, I think the, the good there is not a lack of good people, but I think there are people who have fear, and uh, there are those who play on that fear and use that fear. Uh, and so, when we you can take away the noise, and people can hear the truth because they'll feel that that's the truth, then that's when they take a stand. Yeah, and and you've taken a stand also. I uh, uh, I'm going back to the dinner table. I was brought up to talk around the dinner table, uh, just like you were. Uh, food was an integral part of the family. It brought us together. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think you're right. I think this generation coming up does see the world differently. They don't see segregation. Um, 
as we saw it. They don't see race as we saw it. Um, but, you know, the story still needs to be told, and this is... Yeah, the story needs to be told, because also, what, maybe it's not... Now it's more economic. And it always is, you know, combined. Right. I mean, it's, the, you know, that, that, you know, for people to work hard and not to be able to support their families when they work all day long, uh, you know, not being paid properly, uh, it's, you know, there's another fight. But it's, you know, it, it, it comes from, we can still get our inspiration from the great people who've gone before us uh, and, and, and take, that, take that fight to, to equality and to, free, and to justice, really. It's really a matter of justice. I mean, it's a little bit, people not being paid properly for their work is going back to slavery, yeah. essentially. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, to, to think that you should be able to get people to work for you for free <laughs> uh, and I mean, it, it, that's that's essentially what it is. Yeah. So, uh, but I think there, I think, like I said, I think that there are a lot of good people. Uh, you can't sort of, you know, look at somebody and decide if they if they're going to be a good person or not. But there are a lot of good people out there, and if you go out there with the intention of being with the good people, they're going to come. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right because I think I think because I think people want to. They want to. They want to have that human connection. And I would say that I have found through my music and through the work that I've been doing, like with, with refugees, and is that, uh, you know, first, uh, something that's been very important to me is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And, and sometimes doing a concert, I can feel that the audience mm-hmm. vibrates mm-hmm. for some seconds together. And that vibration, I think, where that is in, in their body or in their heart, is that from that place that this Universal Declaration of, of, of uh, Human Rights has sprung. That thing that says, we are all members of this family which we call humanity. And we just need to vibrate from time to time to be reminded. And I think that we all want to have those vibrations. And that's why I think that if we get rid of the noise and we get rid of the fear mongers, that people will be able to listen to that inner vibration and will and will stand for what's right. Do you think that that um, that possibly might be one reason why the culture has changed a little bit? That there are those manipulators who are trying to get us away from those moments where we vibrate together so that we can be more controlled. I guess you could say. Of course, I mean, <laughs> of course. I mean, you know, otherwise, there, there is no, con- they don't control you. Right. <laughs> of course not. I mean, you know, uh, the noise is what keeps everybody sort of, uh, uh, sort of uh, complacent. And that worked, that worked when things were more or less, uh, uh, you know, when people were able to think about sending their children to college and, and, and having a decent life and having a decent retirement. But now, when, You've, when you have vast majorities of people in the country who cannot see that possibility, mm-hmm. then they're not going to be kept content by, by uh, you know, uh, the, the, the sitcom on TV. Right. The bread and circuses won't be enough. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, I never give a, uh, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I always see the glass half full. So I was, that's just my character. I'm, I, I choose, I mean, I choose to look at, Okay, how can we go forward? 
because then I think you you accept defeat and then you just wait for death because but that's what, but life is about going forward and oh how can we how can we solve this so um, right. I, I that's why I, I say I, I I don't lose hope at all no and I'm not going to lose hope with humanity either I uh, uh, talking about vibrating I can I can feel your energy honestly through the through the microphone here yeah, Barbara I just I just find you an absolutely amazing person um i uh uh you're an absolutely beautiful beautiful human being um internally and phys- and uh outwardly i uh um, i I'm, I'm attracted to 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 people like you uh people that have found their their way in life have have walked their path the way they feel they should walk it and um your book, Lifting My Voice, uh, which is your memoir, has uh, has touched me, and I know it's uh, touched Trent also. And we're gonna we're gonna try to push this. Uh, you know, this is the kind of book that I think all generations need to read because it, it talks uh, it it talks to everyone. I think. Um, and if you can stay online after we say goodbye, we, I got a question yeah. for you. But um, Barbara, it's been wonderful. I uh, thank I, you. It's, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. I, I, you know, I, I honestly, I'd really like to pick up this interview down the road, maybe, uh, you know, a few months down the road, because I'd like to talk to you or maybe emphasize the uh, discussion on on uh, these great. Uh, individuals like yourself that you've met uh through your work through your humanitarian work i uh um i i just, I just yes of course we can we can we can do something like after the summer oh that'd be you fantastic know? that'd be yeah fantastic. we can we can we can sort of pick up after the summer and uh, and i'm uh, gonna yeah, have a grandbaby in october so we can talk about our grandbabies <laughs> yes yes well he'll be two years younger my mine was born in october to the second of october oh. And uh, it's the greatest thing in the world. I that, mean, you know, that's very cool. My, you become completely gaga. <laughs> uh, I am. I am. I, I've been well. Trent can tell you, I'm gaga all the time. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I, were, I love the kids. Uh, kids are kids are the most important thing in my life. Uh, I don't care who's. Well, well, well they, it is. they're still when they when they're small. They still have their connection to the angels. Yeah. They haven't completely forgotten them. Well, and uh, so their their wonderment, the uh just it's just so it's so fantastic. Well, I see the same kind of light in their eyes that I see on the cover of your book here, Barbara. I can I can tell that you're you're an absolutely amazing person. I'd like to I'd like to thank you for coming on on, on air today, Trent. Uh, um, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. Folks, uh, you got to read this book, Barbara Hendricks, an amazing woman with an amazing voice and an amazing heart. This is Greg Grasso and Trent Clegg with Chapter One. Thank you.